Hello and welcome to the podcast series on beingfulness by Professor Ram Nidumolu, practice professor of organizational behavior at the Indian School of Business. My name is Pavitra, your host and friend through this series. With each emerging episode of this series, Professor Ram, through his narration of personal anecdotes and stories from the Upanishads, will help us break down the concepts of beingfulness. Make sure to stay with us till the end of each episode where we pose a pressing managerial question to Professor Ram. In this first episode, let us start at the very beginning. What is beingfulness? Good morning, folks. Uh, I'm Ram Nidmolo. This is something I've been thinking about for 30 years and uh, perhaps I've been practicing for the last uh, 10 to 15 years or so. It's interesting, you know, uh, there's something about being, the sole notion of being that I've been captivated by ever since I first came across it in uh, the Upanishads when I was trying to finish up my dissertation at UCLA. This was in the late 80s. And I remember picking up this book by uh, actually an author called Juan Mascaro, and that was not even his first language. It was in English. It was the Penguin Editions of the Upanishads. And as I went through these uh, English translations of the Upanishads, in particular the Ishavasya Upanishad, it is just something I, I don't really even understand now what uh, captivated me. Very simple English, simple uh, prose, but uh, really profound concepts. And the concept of being or the Atman as it's called in uh, Sanskrit, something about it got to me. And uh, since then I've been trying to understand what it is, what does it mean for me, how can I apply it in my life. So it's really been a discovery of uh, what that was that first captivated me. So yeah, so this is really, I guess, an expression of uh, something within. I, and I don't really even know what it is. Something deep within that is trying to express itself. And I've uh, been trying to put words around it, concepts around it. But uh, nevertheless, it's always elusive. Mm, that is so interesting. Actually, could you give us some context of what was happening in your life 30 years ago? Well, you know, I was, uh, how many years old was I then? I was in my late 20s and I was trying to finish up my PhD and I was not doing a good job of it. Too many distractions at UCLA. And uh, I had my job offer from uh, the University of Arizona and it was an excellent job actually, one of the best in the market. And uh, I couldn't finish it. I asked for an extension of a year from the head of department at Arizona and he gave it to me. And I still couldn't finish my PhD. And I was going to ask for a second extension, very likely would have been refused. And very luckily, as I said, I discovered this book and uh, something changed. I became a lot more focused and uh, I finished in uh, really six months, something that would have taken two years or so. There's a kind of focus and concentration, productivity. I just found myself, uh, it became a breeze. I just did it in six months, maybe even less. And then I was uh, you know, at the new job as an assistant professor. So I immediately saw the benefits of this, this ability to focus. Okay, so all this prompted you to look beyond your distractions for something new, something that'll help you find a little more meaning. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? Because this is so interesting. Like, how did you go about finding meaning? While you're doing all this, while you're being distracted and enjoying yourself and so on, you also begin to realize that you're never satisfied, right? You're never satisfied. It's uh, really one pleasure upon another and it never, never is fully satisfying. There's always something more that you want. 
And, uh, you know, so I know these things inside me. And then as I read the Upanishads, I realize something there resonates with uh, what I've been feeling. For example, what I just said about pleasure, there's a great story in the Katopanishad on that, on uh, this young boy, Nachiketa. And it's a fascinating story. I don't know if I have the time for it, but it's a fascinating story. And exactly this, this boy, Nachiketa, who's uh, at the sacrifice thrown by his father. And uh, another father is giving away really cows that don't give milk, is uh, giving away land that is barren. And the young boy says, Father, why do you give away these useless things? Give me away. And the father in anger, you know, in a sense, symbolically sacrifices the son. And so it's a build-up. And then the story continues from there where uh, this young boy, Anachiketa, reaches uh, the land of death, Yama's abode. And he's been kept waiting for three days and three nights. And uh, that is a terrible sin, even in the land of uh, the dead. And so when Yama comes back, a voice tells to Yama that, uh, beware, you have kept this guest waiting and you have to do something about it. And Yama comes rushing to the boy and says, uh, you know, I have not honored you as a guest, so I give you three boons. And Nachiketa then uh, says, the first boon is let my father's anger be appeased. Let him not be angry with me anymore. And then Nachiketa says, my second uh, boon that I want is uh, tell me about the fire of sacrifice. What is this fire of sacrifice, Agni and so on, and what does it do? And uh, Yama then explains that to him. And uh, because Nachiketa was such a good student and could uh, replicate what Yama had just said, Yama says, I'll give you an extra boon, and henceforth this will be known as the Nachiketa fire. It will be named after you. Now ask me for the third boon. And then uh, Nachiketa says, uh, my third boon is tell me what happens to us uh, after we die. And uh, where do we go? What happens to our soul and so on? And uh, Yama says, you know, that's a question that the gods of old had asked me. And I can't tell you that question. Ask for anything else. Ask for wealth, ask for rulership, all that. But don't ask me this question. But Nachiketa says, what uses wealth? What uses uh, lordship over the universe? If you're there and I know that uh, you'll come in any moment and get me, tell me what happens after this. And uh, then Yama says exactly what I've been talking about. So he says, there are two paths that lie before the soul of man. There is the path of pleasure. And on that path, which is called uh, the prayers, you, you, know, you seek one pleasure after another, and you're never satisfied. You always die each time. You want some more, you die each time. And every time the person on that journey, the journey of prayers, comes back to me, me, Yama, and I always uh, you know, reclaim that person. But then there is that other path, the path of deep meaning. And uh, you know, it's not about pleasure, but it is about uh, meaning and joy. And uh, that path is the Shreyas, path of Shreyas. And on that path, there is no death. I, you know, there is no, you, it's figuratively, symbolically live forever. You don't die, you don't go up and down in your life. You don't, uh, you know, become depressed and then ex you know, exhilarated and then depressed. That cycle, you become more content, deeply content. And that's what I think I found with Upanishads. That what I was chasing before was just, uh, you know, constant cycle of ups and downs. But once you discover the Upanishads, you realize there's a deep uh, something there. There's a deep well there that gives you a peace of mind, an equanimity, a sense of purpose. And uh, that has never left me because the issue is always how to convert it into something, a tangible path. But that sense that there is something there that is deep and significant and purposeful, something that your life is meant for. You know, some call it calling, you know, a sense of calling. That has never left me. It's always uh, kept me since, I would say, 1989 when I first uh, discovered this. Yeah, so it's now 
33 years. Yeah. I hope I answered your question with a, <laughs> a really long story. No, no, that was such a great story and such a great way for us to understand the notion of beingfulness and higher purpose. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Given the relatability and the applicability of the concepts of beingfulness in all of our lives and work, we brought Professor back into the studio and posed to him some questions that we've been receiving from alumni of his courses and also listeners of this podcast. So here is this week's question. Professor, I think one of the questions that we've been receiving very often is about people facing challenges in various aspects. So this one specific question we got from a student was that a lot about her life has been very, very challenging on the personal front, financially, and even at work, there's a lot of challenges with where she's having, I mean, the threat of being laid off and yeah. various other things. Um, and what she says is that she's finding it harder and harder to be happy. Mm. Um, so how can she probably make sense of the situation and mm. overcome it? Yeah, yes. you know, this has been something that uh, we all face in our life. Uh, we're guaranteed to face it many times in our life. Mm. There is no life, I think. Certainly not my life, where it's been happiness all the way, or even a substantial part. You know, right. happiness is. Uh, so I actually uh, have now come to the conclusion that uh, we shouldn't chase happiness in life. And okay. I say this uh, not just uh, my own experience, but you know, research also suggests this that there's a big difference between happiness and meaning. Okay. You know that uh, Declaration of Independence, U.S. Uh, Declaration, pursuit of uh, life, uh, liberty, and happiness. I think happiness was the wrong word used. That should have been meaning. And okay. I think uh, the reason why I've come to this conclusion is uh, in the pursuit of happiness, by chasing it directly, wanting to be happy, we often become unhappy. We often become miserable. That it's the wrong way to be happy. If you want to be happy in life, don't chase it directly. It's mm -hmm. almost like uh, in some cases, if you want to make money, don't chase money directly. Make it a byproduct or something else, your passion. So in a okay. similar sense, uh, happiness is a much better byproduct of meaning. Hmm. pursuing something that is meaningful. And so, you know, this uh, then uh, begs the question, what's the difference between happiness and meaning? And it's a profound difference. It's a difference that has been really studied for thousands of years. The ancient Greeks uh, made a study of it. India, ancient India made a study of it. It also turns out, and there's some excellent research in the psychology literature, it turns out that happiness or the seeking of happiness is all about me. It's all hmm. about taking. It's about my satisfaction. Happiness, by the way, is my emotional state. Right. It describes my emotional state, such as the feeling of gratification, satisfaction, ecstasy, all that, right? Mm. But uh, So it becomes about me. I become a taker. It is not really about my identity. It's not about who I think I am. It's basically things, events around you that uh, bring you to that state of uh, emotion mm. where you are feeling pleasant, pleasant mm. or... Uh, and so it's uh, not in many ways the right thing for organizations to emphasize. If you're a manager, it's not something you should emphasize for yourself and for others because it's about taking and uh, it's in the moment. The, on the other hand, meaning is the very opposite. Meaning is really the kind of significance we give to something that has happened in our life. So it's not just emotions, which happiness is, but it's also your interpretation of it. What does mm. your mind tell you? How do you at some level assess it? How do you compare it to what happened in your past? And so it really brings all these faculties, these capabilities of our mind, 
that go beyond just that simple uh, you know state of happiness it truly makes human beings what they are the ability to create meaning many species don't have that many species can be happy but we are distinctive in the fact that we can create meaning of what happens around us right and uh, so meaning it turns out through this research some excellent research in positive psychology is about giving if someone pursues meaning then they're more likely wanting to give give to others help others help their teammates make a difference to society those are the things that uh, bring this kind of uh, meaning that i'm talking about okay and that path was called the eudaimonic path eudaimonic happiness the greeks called it uh, eudaimonia and in ancient indian wisdom it was uh, the path of shreyas where it's a higher path it's a right. path where there is uh, meaning and deep joy not the kind of surface temporary happiness we're talking about okay. so yeah so the question you asked a long answer to that is uh, i have had setbacks in my life have these difficulties the thing to do is to see them as uh, really at some level that is life mm. if you're looking to live a life that is full fully engaged with the world that is the kind of life a life that is just filled with uh, you know no obstacles at all everything is going well everything is this is going to be very quickly a boring life it's a life that you will not remember but yeah. uh, then professor yeah. what do we do with the feelings of distress the yeah. feelings of stress and anxiety that we get probably in the short term yeah. how do we deal with that don't fight those feelings uh, why right. you're feeling that there's a deeper part of you that is also telling you this too will pass right. so you're simultaneously in that sense engaged with the feeling mm. engaged with that distress but not consumed by it Mm. not uh, feeling that uh, my your life will end or wanting to end your life because you know there's a small part of you but a strong part a small but strong steady part that is telling you this too will pass so right. cultivate that and the key to that is self distancing mm. the ability to distance yourself from yourself mm. that's very important we have that ability we have what's called the theory of the mind where we can see ourselves in the world and in relationship to others we can construct that in our mind where i ram am also an actor right. in the world interacting with others and uh, that ability to see myself from a distance is called self distancing mm. that's what i mean by cultivate that part of you while you are consumed and uh, you know sad about what's happening mm. and no full well that uh, years later these are the moments that uh, these are the experiences that will be deeply meaningful for you right you look back and say that i learned more through my failures than through my successes mm. but uh, you know you draw greater satisfaction your failures shape you in many ways right your failures tell you what not to do and who you are and what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses you yes. learn more about yourself right yeah. no that's that's yeah. actually very very helpful because it puts us on a more a longer path towards longer finding path. joy yeah. rather than happiness so such a good way to look at longer path it's not shortcuts right you're not just looking for a quick fix right right you're looking for a longer sustained uh, yeah, journey yes yes a journey yeah, yes a journey. Yeah. yeah with that we come to the end of the first episode in this series in the next episode we'll get a sneak peek into professor's upbringing and childhood and also learn a lot more about his journey with beingfulness and higher purpose so stay tuned you can send in your questions to us at beingfulness@gmail.com Follow us on social media through the links provided in the description below and keep listening to the Beingfulness podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in today.